If you got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 19. We don't have a lot of time, and I haven't finished this sermon yet. So we're gonna we're gonna do some some uh, some putting some stuff together today to hopefully get through everything. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you got to see the work of the Lord in action in the lives of people today. And more importantly, I'm glad you're here to hear God's word. Everything else in this world is sinking sand. Everything else will continue to change. And isn't it true? The rate of change is only through internet and and everything that we have at our fingertips. Change is happening not in generations any longer, but in months and in years. Man, it was just in the early 2000s that we had uh, bills passed by Congress and, and by presidents honoring Christian marriage between a man and a woman. That was just in the early 2000s. And everybody affirmed it. Republicans affirmed it like Bush. Uh, Democrats affirmed it like Clinton. Everybody affirmed it. Until one day, they just didn't affirm it anymore. And now we're transing kids, chemically castrating them at four years old, at six years old, at eight years old. Yeah, because they're choosing it. I wanted to be a spaceman when I was six. I changed my mind. Did you? I just read this morning, awesome article, where the L's, the G's, and the B's, they're trying to get rid of the T's now. Because <laughs> I mean, any thinking person, if you're looking at what is happening, even the L's, G's, and B's are going, you guys are just weirdos. Things change. Whatever you give yourself to will change. Families change. Dynamics change. Kids get older. Kids get married. In-laws come in. Everything changes. One constant in life is change. Yet one thing remains stable throughout all the changes. Parties change. Nations change. The gospel never changes. That's why we call Christ and his cross the rock in which we can build our lives as the world shifts all around us, as the, the, the pillars holding up civilization begin to crumble. The gospel stays and stands strong. You will be secure in the storms if you build your house upon the rock, amen? That's what we're going to do this morning. Let's pray and we'll get started. I did notice something. I kind of feel like I'm at the Red Sea. What's going on today? Because there's a bunch of people over here, and there's a bunch of people over here, and there's not so many (laughs) right here. So Dan, I know Dan likes the spit. (laughs) This is his shower time as well as church time. But you guys, uh, if I'm doing something wrong that's causing you guys to get further away, please let me know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for just the life that is evident where your people gather. 
It's not about four points or some other church down the street. It's your people coming together, united in your gospel. Man, there is life. There is health. There is encouragement. There is fruitfulness that occur when we honor your word and come together in your name and for your purposes. And Father, I pray that you would continue to hammer on us through your word, to change and transform us through your word. We know we're going to get it wrong. That's why we open your word every Sunday morning. So be with us. Change our minds. Change our hearts. Grow us as we need to grow in Christ-likeness. It's in Jesus' name. Every Christian said, Amen. amen. Chapter 19 of Exodus. On the third new moon... After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came, uh, uh, had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So we've got uh, some time and geographic markers here that are important for us. When we go back and we look at when God's people left Egypt, when we look at where they camped before the Red Sea, remember it's the reason Egypt came out to try to get them because they had positioned themselves with a sea on one side and they're down in this bowl-like basin and Egypt goes, we shouldn't let these people go, but look, they're sitting ducks, we got to go. So that happened in the Red Sea parts. So we're about seven weeks outside of the Red Sea. As they leave the Red Sea, they've been walking through the wilderness, they've traveled about 400 miles at the beginning of chapter 19. So from the Red Sea in seven weeks, they've traveled 400 miles and they've gone through four different crises. Uh, they got out and realized, man, freedom comes with some responsibilities. Where's the waters? Isn't there a reservoir somewhere we can go uh, and, and get some water? No, you gotta, you're free now, but you got to find your own water. And then they get hungry and God provides manna from heaven and then they get thirsty again. And then Amalek, the Amalekites attack them from the rear and they're killing people in the rear of the line. So they've got to go and defend themselves to sustain the freedom that they've been given. And God helps them in each crisis as they're learning how to take the responsibility of freedom on themselves. Because freedom by itself is not worth a whole lot. God here at the base of the Sinai Peninsula, at the base of Mount Hor, Mount Sinai, as it's called both names, God is going to speak to his people and he's going to give them, please don't miss next week. I'm Brent, I'm on vacation. Figure out a way. Tune in online. Do not miss the next two weeks as we walk through the Decalogue of God, the Ten Commandments that are the building. God's brought his people together here so that he can now, he saved them, they're already delivered, but now he tells them how to live. And the Ten Commandments is the basis of all law and order in all of Western civilization. It's why uh, there wasn't a lot of good stuff happening before the Decalogue, but as people saw, these commands bring life, these commands bring, bring flourishing, these commands bring blessing. All the Western world was built, whether the people were Christians or not, or, or followed or loved God or not, it was God's law that has brought the, the human flourishing and blessing that we have seen in our world. There is a way in which we all now shall live. And we're going to be moving into that the next two weeks. But here, seven weeks, 400 miles, a tired people, 
wondering about Moses because Moses keeps going off on his own and he says he's talking with God and he comes back with words from God. Moses is seeing a lot. Moses is hearing a lot. The people will just have Moses to look at. So what's God going to do? In chapter 19, God's going to, he's already revealed himself to Moses. Now he's going to reveal himself to his people. And in Genesis chapter 3, he reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. But now there's a couple that was just Moses. Now there's a couple million people at the base of a mountain. So now he's going to descend upon a fiery burning mountain and reveal himself to all the people. So just a little, because we probably won't get there, just a little, because I know some of you are going to ask, no, that's not a spaceship. Zimri, only you, man. I know some of you like that ancient alien guy with the hair that comes way out like that. I'm not a superstitious person, but it's something about that guy. I'm just like, God is revealing himself to the people on the mountain in fire and smoke the same way. He revealed himself to Moses in the bush. The bush was just one person. Now there's millions that need to see their God and know that Moses isn't just having a schizophrenic break. Hey, guys, I've been over there talking to God. How come you're always talking to God? We don't ever see God. Right? Moses, do you see God right now? (laughs) No, God is going to be revealing to his people. Here's what's going on in this Sinai Peninsula. They set out from Rephidim where the Amalekites attacked them and they had to defend themselves to keep their freedom. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness and there Israel encamped before the mountain. Now remember, and go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 because God His word never returns void. It always does what he speaks it and sets it out to do. We've been quoting that verse for three weeks now. But in chapter 19, we see some fulfillment of this. Remember back in chapter 3 where God reveals himself to Moses the first time. And go, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses doesn't want to, makes up all kinds of excuses, says choose anybody else. I don't want to. Remember, Moses finally concedes because when God's will comes against our will, his will always wins. Amen? So Moses finally goes and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And he says it again. And Pharaoh says no. And he says it again. It's a, remember how discouraged Moses was? But God had told him way back in chapter 3, verse 12, I will be with you. This shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on. This is the very mountain where the burning bush occur, where Moses was, uh, had the goats of his father-in-law Jethro out in the back side of the wilderness. It was this same mountain. The burning bush occurred. And God said, as sure as I am God and you are Moses, this is going to happen. And Moses, please let him go. No, please let him go. No, please let him go. Pharaoh coming down on Moses and Aaron. God's people even rejecting Moses at times. And Moses just saying, I don't want to do this anymore. 
and plague four and plague five and plague six and plague seven and plague ten and a Red Sea and crisis in the wilderness. And now Moses is in the reality of God's provision. Everything God said was going to happen, we're actually here again at the mountain. In our spiritual walks, the application here is is easy to understand. Because how many of you, you know what God says, but in life it just doesn't look like it's happening. And it's one crisis after another, and it's one discouraging thing after another. And remember how Moses, his breath left him. He was exhausted at one point. And if that's you this morning, if you're just exhausted with life, please hear the word of the Lord. His promises are yes and amen. And there is purpose in the crisis. There is purpose in the pains and the hardships of life that bring us to the point where God says, see, I told you so. Hold on. It gets dark, but the sun always rises. Hold on for that moment where God says, see, I told you. And your faith goes, and it grows. Which is why we experience hardships in the first place. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God. Now again, the people are in the Sinai Peninsula. They're in the base of the mountain, and Moses goes up to God. I'm never going to have a sermon title again, but if I was going to have one for this chapter, it would be the Christian calisthenics of God. (laughs) We are going to see Moses go up and down this mountain six times in chapter 19. Moses might have had a little gut in chapter 18, but in chapter 19, he looks like a samurai warrior. He's getting all his steps in in chapter 19. Up three times, down three times. Anytime you see him talking to God, he's up on the mountain. When he's back with the people, he's come down the mountain to talk to them. The people don't go up the mountain. God reveals himself on the mountain, but only Moses is allowed to go up. And Moses is allowed to come down to tell the people what God says. Showing the reality and need of a mediator in our lives, someone to stand in the gap between God and man. And Moses was a great mediator in a time and for a season, but he was nothing more than a reflection, a shadow of a better mediator who was to come, and we all know his name, amen? His name is Jesus. He's the only one who, not for a time and not temporarily, but for all the rest of eternity can bring man and a holy father together in union and in acceptance. Moses went up to God. Oh, and by the way, let me say this. I got 25 minutes. I'm going to find the person in our church that told my wife about an exercise program called 75 Hard. (laughs) I am going to find you. (laughs) Because my wife is all excited. She's like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this every day for 75 days. And I'm like, look, I will do that, and I will do that, but I am not doing that. 
We have to start tomorrow. Thanks a lot. It'll be my Exodus chapter 19 experience. Up and down, up and down. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Esau. Oh, are you paying attention? No, we saw what happened to the house of Esau in chapter 17 at the end. This is the house of Jacob. For he chose Jacob, not Esau. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Watch chapter, verse 4. Have your, because here's what we're going to see here. We're going to see something. We're going to see part of the nature of God himself that most people hold in tension and in conflict concerning him. But these two attributes of God that we're going to see in verse 4, he is both things 100%, and they, they, aren't, they don't work against one another. They actually work together beautifully and perfectly in the righteous perfection that is Yahweh. He says first, you yourselves have seen, underline that. What has Israel seen? What I, God, did to the Egyptians. They saw the rebellion of the Egyptians. They saw God give chance after chance after chance after chance. They experienced Egypt. Uh, they didn't experience themselves, but they saw Egypt experiencing plague after plague after plague after plague. And finally, all the dead bodies of Pharaoh's army washing up on the beach of the Red Sea, they have seen seen the justice of God. God is 100% just. He's perfect. He's righteous. He is, we'll see in a moment, he is holy. And a perfect, righteous, holy God has to do something about human unrighteousness. He's patient. He's long-suffering. But at some point, in this case, after 400 years of bitter treatment by the Egyptians, God finally says, enough, and he punishes the unrighteous, and they deserve everything that God meets out against them. God is 100% just. But what else is God? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I, so you've seen what the Egyptians, and how I bore you, underline that, bore you on eagles' wings. You saw the punishment of the wicked, but you also saw the salvation and the deliverance that I provided for you. How I loved you, how I cared for you. This is the first time in Exodus God uses some poetic imagery when speaking to Moses who's going to speak to the people. And the metaphor is not lost on them because they are people of the land as ancient peoples were. You know, we've lost so much of just general common grace that we can learn from nature. I don't know if you are any fans of mountain men in here. No, don't like that show? Okay. Well, one of the guys on Mountain Men says, people nowadays, they don't know where their food comes from. They don't know where their poop goes. 
man, it's true. There's just, man, so much. It's just been lost on us as we live in these, these self-centered bubbles of constant data coming at us. Some we want to see and some we don't. But God's people would have appreciated this metaphor because they knew eagles, nothing in the sky ever flies higher than an eagle. They are perfectly built to be the highest flying animal on planet Earth, which is why they don't, like every other bird species, carry their young in their claws where something can come and grab it from underneath them. No, eagles put their young when they have to to travel in the huge wingspan of their backs. The the eagles hold on and sit in between their wings up above the eagle because, again, nothing flies higher than the eagle. So there's nothing above that can get to those young eagles on their parents' backs what God is saying to his people. You've seen what I do to the wicked and you've also seen how I love and care for you and how with me nothing will ever get you. I don't know what you think about when you think about God's you know, we've got all the, the Roman gods, we've got the Greek gods. When you think about Zeus, it's power and it's smoke and it's might. Well, God is that for sure. But God also is a God who weeps over his people. Jesus says, like a mother, hit, I've just wanted to gather you together. When Jesus is at the funeral of Lazarus, he sees how heartbroken his friends are. And the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Gods aren't supposed to cry. Why would God cry? God cried because he cared. God is 100% just. He is also 100% loving. He cares. He provides. He protects for his people as we've seen over, as they've seen over and over and over again. And if still in your mind the justice of God and the love of God just, just seem to rub the wrong way, look to the cross itself. There's no better example of how God is always just and always loving at the same time. Because it is on the cross where our Lord and Savior fully met as all of the, of the weight of our sin was placed upon him. And he fully reaped the wrath of God. The Bible says it pleased God to, to destroy him, to, to pour his wrath out upon him. Because God is just. Sin has to be dealt with. So we see justice, but we also see love. Because what we deserve, God put on his own son. Why? Why did God give? Because for God so loved, God gave. We believe, we have, this is the gospel. He made a way to take his perfect son and substitute his perfection for our unholiness so that he could punish the sin that keeps us from him. In Christ, perfect justice, perfect love, working beautifully together the way it only can when it is perfect. As God is perfect. You yourselves have seen what it looks like on this side and what it looks like on this side. And how I have brought you, look at the end of verse 4, how I have brought you to myself. Now God has done a lot. 
he has saved, he's delivered, he's provided water out of rocks, manna from heaven. I mean, he's done a lot. But the purpose of the salvation, the purpose of the deliverance is not just to save, to be saved. It's to be saved and to be made right so that he can bring you all the way. What does God want? He wants to bring you all the way to himself. Jesus came all the way down to us so that the Father in Christ might bring us all the way to himself. This is what Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, where I'm fixing to go, you can't follow. And it freaks them out. They're so distraught. We've been following you for three years. We'll go anywhere with you. We'll die for you. He says, not this time. But where I'm going, just know. There I am preparing a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. The whole purpose of this up and down life and all of its hardships and all of its pains. What encouragement this morning. What hope to know that God in Christ Jesus is bringing us all the way to himself. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will, now underline that, because here's where so many Christians get wrong. So many Christians get works so wrong. So many Christians, they don't, they, don't, they don't see it clearly, but they have put the cart in front of the horse. So we need to get this right. God's people are already delivered from bondage. God's people are already called Israel, his house, the house of God, God's people. Now God, who has brought them to his mountain, is going to tell them how to live in a way that not only honors God, but brings blessing and flourishing into their lives so that they can be what God wants them to be, a representation of of God and his gospel to the rest of the world. There are a lot of commands in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Some civil, you know, we don't live in the wilderness anymore. We're we're told in the New Testament how we're freed from, I don't have to take so many steps away from my tent and dig a hole to use the bathroom and then cover it up. Some of those commands we don't have to follow anymore. But the moral commands, the Ten Commands of God, Who knows how better for humans to live on planet Earth? We think we do, but when we read the Bible, we understand quickly. We don't know anything. We're wrong. It's why he speaks, so we can repent and get back on board with his agenda for us in the world. And his agenda for us is the same agenda with Israel that we will see. This is, listen, there's a, remember from last week, there's a difference between the decree of God. When God tells Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a nation out of you, stars in the heaven, all nations are going to be blessed through you. Listen, Abraham messes up a bunch. We got the nation of Islam from the sin of Abraham. But it didn't matter about Abraham or what he did. God decreed, I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter what we do. When God decrees something, it always happens. I'm going to bring you to the mountain. Here they are, the people at the mountain. But this 
It's contractual and conditional in nature. God says, if you will do something, then I will do something. And you better get this right, or you're never going to understand the splitting of the kingdom under Rehoboam, or the, uh, how God brings in the Assyrians and, and destroys the northern kingdom, or how God exiles the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. You're never going to understand it if you don't get this right. Israel never ceased being God's people throughout the dispensation of the Old Testament. But they did live less than what God wanted. And there were consequences as a result. Are we trekking? And God, unlike authorities today, actually holds people accountable. Why? Because he's 100% just at the same time being 100% loving. One of the problems we have today There's an entire generation that's never been held accountable. They do bad in school. They get diplomas anyway. They're bad at their jobs. They get to keep them for some reason. They break the law. Eh, It's okay. We'll, we'll, We'll throw you a bone. God is the God of accountable. And there are, as we're going to see, blessings for obedience. It's not salvation. But there are blessings for obedience. There are, we're told in 1 Corinthians 3, rewards for when we live well according to the gospel. Part of those rewards are human blessing and flourishing. When we obey God, there are blessings. When we disobey his commands, there are curses. And the curse, according to 1 Corinthians 3, is not you lose your salvation. No, but it's that you'll be tested through fire. You're still saved, but it's saved through the skin of your teeth is the translation there. So God says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, if you will, you shall be my treasured possession amongst the peoples. For all the earth is mine. Abraham Kuyper in 1898 did a series of six lectures at Princeton University. This is back when Ivy League schools were still kind of seminaries. You know, they all started as seminaries. They hate God's word now, but they all started out as seminaries. Most of them, 90% of them. In his first lecture, he said, by the way, the six lectures were lectures on Calvinism. It's a great Christian classic book. You should pick it up. The first thing he says in his first lecture is, there is not one square inch of all creation in which God does not cry, mine. Why can God do that? Because he's the one who spoke it into existence. As we're going to see in a moment, he's not an inch taller. He's infinitely greater than we could ever comprehend or even imagine. A self-sustaining, all-powerful, almighty, majestic King of all kings and Lord of all lords. It's all his. When the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that just doesn't mean he owns a lot of hills and a lot of cattle. Right? That's the idiom for it. It's, it's all, you, know, you have your hill and your cow, and he's got his hill and his cow. But here's the reality. It all belongs to him. The breath we use to do the work that we do, it all belongs to him. How foolish are we to not... Hear his commands, seek his commands, obey his commands, repent quickly when we find ourselves outside of the boundaries, outside of his commands. If you will, then you shall be 
my treasured possession amongst the nations. Now watch what he says in verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now what's awesome about this is we see almost identical language in the New Testament as Peter is speaking to the Christian church. We've been grafted into Israel. God, what he wanted for them, he wants for us today. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. What's the, what's the first thing God, God says through Peter? Hey, let's change some things about the way we are. Just like God's going to do here in chapter 19 and in chapter 20. There's a way in which we should live. Put away. Hey, all you saved Christians, saved by grace, saved by the work that God has done that can't be undone. It's his work. He did it. But still, in grace, in love for Jesus, let's honor his word and put some things that are in our lives away. Not so we can be saved, but so we can be the royal priest to the kingdom of priests. We'll talk about it in a second. So put away all malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do you want to know why the Ten Commandments are so important to any kind of civilization that will be blessed? Because they reflect the very nature and character of God himself. God says, don't lie. Because he can't lie. He, all, he only, he's perfect. He only speaks truth. So when we don't lie, we're honoring God and the truth that he represents, the perfection that is. We reflect God when we follow his commands. So put these things away. Like newborn infants crave spiritual, why, does, why, why is this metaphor used here? Because somewhere else it says, hey, get off the milk, get to the meat. But it's a different metaphor for different things. This one is clear, like a baby that cannot survive on its own. You need the sustenance, the sustenance that only comes from the word of God. You're not going to grow, you're not going to be healthy without getting into God's word and putting things away that you need to put away and growing in salvation, growing up. doesn't say and becoming saved, but growing up in the salvation that we already possess through the work of Christ. Am I being clear this morning? Look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you're going to be doing these things. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. That's who Jesus was, a God who became flesh, cornerstone of all God had been building up from the past and all that God was going to do from now until eternity end. All sinners in Christ, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Look at the language. A holy priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest reflects the will of God, the ways of God, what God wants to the people. What is this living stone stuff? How would the pharaohs in ancient Egypt, how would they, as they're ending the end of their lives, how would they preserve 
their greatness, their power, what a great king they were. We know what they did. They, they built statues and monuments to themselves. When a king wanted the kingdom to know he was good and he was powerful and he was mighty, he, he built a statue of himself and he'll place it out where everyone could see. What is God doing through Christ? He's making us Christians. That means little Christ. That's what the word means. We are the reflection of God and his gospel in this world. It's what he wants from Israel in the Old Testament. It's what he wants from his church in the New Testament. This is why we work, not for salvation. That's what God has done, but so that we can be good representations of Christ in this world. And there are rewards for those who do that well. So we are encouraged to grow in our sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming this holy priesthood that he wants us to be. And no one's exempt. Right there, there is a, there, there is a room for cleric and church leadership, but every Christian, doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, every Christian is a visible representation of Christ in this world. None are exempt. That's why the prophecy in Joel and the affirmation at Pentecost is so important. God says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Sons, daughters, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, everybody can rightly speak the oracles of God now. Everyone can rightly declare the gospel to all those who they may find themselves around. It's what God wants. It's why his commands are important. It's why even though we're saved by grace, we don't sweep the Bible under the rug. We, we learn, we grow, we try to do our best in what it says. And when we get things wrong, we say we're sorry. Why is it so hard for people to say they're sorry? The older I get, the more I love it. It's good for the heart. It's good for the soul. If you do something wrong, if you slander, if you talk about somebody, all right, and you're too hard hard or too proud to admit it. Listen, remember what the Bible says. He opposes the proud. It's the humble who receive grace. Be quick to run into humility. Be quick to say what God says is here and I'm out of bounds and I want to get back in bounds. This reflects the gospel so much better than us pulling out our guns and shooting one another until somebody's dead and the other goes about their lives. Yeah, so we're not going to finish. I got two minutes. Kingdom of priests. So Moses came, verse 7, called everybody together and reported the words of the Lord. And then they said, absolutely, we're going to do this. We're going to do everything the Lord says. And so God begins to tell them in, down in verse 10 to prepare themselves, to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart. Now, here's something interesting. Have you ever heard Sunday best? You ever heard that phrase? This is where it comes from. This is why you've never been able to find it, because it didn't say it the way that the holiness movement of the last hundred years said it. But this is where it comes from. When I got saved, I went back to church because I knew I needed to be in church. I didn't get saved in church. God saved me out being an idiot. But I knew I had to get back in church, so I started going to church. And the sweet little old ladies in that church, they just took me up to the altar, and they put their hands all over my body. And they prayed and shook, and bobby pins flew, and 
And when we were done, they gave me a list, a verbal list of all the things that I needed to change immediately to be holy and, and some, you know, take the jeans off, burn the tie-dye shirts, cut your hair, shave off the goatee, take the earrings out, right? And, they, and again, they're not bad people. They meant well, but they missed the point. The point is the gospel. God says, prepare yourselves to meet me. First thing I want you to do is wash your clothes. That's where we get Sunday's best from. Remember, they're not wearing suits. They've been slaves for generations, and they've been walking 400 miles through the desert for the last seven weeks. So God rightly says, you stink, wash your clothes. And why is, does God care about clothes? No, what does God want in his people's mind? What, what is the principle he wants in here? When we come to meet God, we need to be clean. Because God is righteous, and we are not. And what's the gospel application? What does Christ, our Passover lamb, do for us? What, even though our sins are red as scarlet, what does Jesus do? He cleanses us. He washes us through his blood, through his broken body so that we can come to God and be accepted in his presence. It is through Christ, not Sunday best, that is the point of Exodus 19. Second thing, last big idea. God says up in, uh, starting in verse 12 and going down, when I descend on this mountain in fire and smoke, when I reveal myself, no one's to try to climb the mountain to get to me. No one's to even touch the mountain. If you do, death. It's going to be death. God perpetuates this throughout the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch the Ark. It's death. That's my presence amongst my people. Why is God putting this fear of himself into his people? Because God wants them to know, I love you, I have carried you, I have borne you. And yes, through Jesus Christ, we can run up and jump into the bosom of our Father through being cleansed through the, the blood of Christ. Well, he tells us we can call him Abba, which is a, a more familial word, means daddy. So there is this relationship that can be enjoyed, but he is still God. And there's only one way to come to God, and that is his way. We don't have the right to say, well, God, you know, you said this and you said that, but I think it's a better way. to come. This is why every other religion on the planet Earth, there can never be coexist. Take that sticker off your car if it's on your car. It can't work. It doesn't work. Because there's one true and everything else is the doctrine of demons. The only way to get to God, he's making it clear in his people's minds, is his way. Which is why the only hope for anyone in this room this morning is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So God made a way. Jesus comes all the way down to us so that he can live a perfect life that we have not. Die in our place for our sin. Conquer sin, death, hell, and grave on a third day. 
and then take us. Jesus came all the way to us to do these things so he could bring us all the way back to the Father, which is what the Father wants from the very beginning. There's only one way, and it's God's way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching your people that to stand in your presence, we must be clean and we must come the way that you want us to come. And thank you for speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament. But thank you, Hebrews 1 tells us, now you only speak through your son, Jesus Christ. You have perfectly revealed to us the only way that truly cleanses us from our sin is in Christ and Christ alone. And may we be a people that wants to serve you and wants to obey your voice for this great salvation that you have provided in Jesus' name.